expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. The rescue of Balana Torres. We begin with Harry Kim reaching Voyager in the escape pod. He tells Captain Janeway that Balana Torres is lost. We continue to the point where they discover a piece of the Delta Flyer. After that... It's simple. They search for Bellana Torres. Bellana Torres is found. Or not found. Or not found. The end. Sounds pretty straightforward to me. That's exactly the problem. Where's the mistaken identity? The discovery? The sudden reversal? Mistaken identity. A character who is someone else. Discovery. The moment when that identity is revealed. Reversal. A situation that turns from good to bad in a blink of an eye. Find the truth of your story. And you won't need all those tricks. I don't know how things are done across the Eastern Sea. But here, poets have become lazy. They rely on manipulation to move their audience. It wasn't always that way. Good morning, London. It is Thursday, January 21, 2010. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now till noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the clothes, everything will be alright. And welcome to the show today, where 519-661-3600 is a number you can call if you want to join in on the conversation today. And today the theme is TV or not TV? That is the question for today's show. Robert and I gave this question our due consideration for today's show, and we both agreed, hey, yeah, why not? <laughs> right, Robert? <laughs> well, TV to an extent. Yes. I mean, even people who listen to radio watch TV, right? People can who you say? surf the internet watch there you TV. Go. So today's show is a bit of a smorgasbord of TV tidbits, complaints, and some advice as in you must watch this show or else, or else not, I guess, <laughs> because freedom of choice is what we're all about after all. So we thought we might, you know, maybe embarrass ourselves by telling you what we watch on TV. <laughs> I don't know if that's a way of putting it. And revealing some of the choices that we've made. Now, i got to make it clear, we're kind of sticking to TV shows. Am I right about that, Robert? Not movies nope. and, and theater releases. TV shows yep. is all I'm going to talk about. Yep. Even though movies are viewed, obviously, more on TV than they would be in theaters, wouldn't you think? I would think. Yeah. yeah. So anyways... Um, I just want so later on today we'll be talking about the future of TV, TV trends, what people are watching, and Robert has brought with him an interesting. Uh, give us a little preview of what you'll be talking about. Well, you sort of mentioned uh, you're going to embarrass us by having us tell <laughs> us what we watch on television. I watch a lot of British television, and we'll talk about British television comparing it to American television. Great. And you brought some clips with you. I heard some of them. Hey, if you're in for a laugh today, boy, we've got some comedy for yes, you. Yes, as a matter of fact, there's a right clip coming up very soon. Yeah. Uh, next few minutes, that's going to have a lot of theme songs in it. And I would like the listening audience out there to just to see how many they can actually identify. Yeah, we'll talk about that shortly. Um, don't know if you... I know you're a fan of Star Trek. We won't be talking about Star Trek today, no. per, per se. We did a whole show on that once. But the first clip was from, a, from an episode of Star Trek, uh, Voyager, entitled Muse. 
And I and because that whole episode was about entertainment and about audiences being manipulated and what what the entertainers of on that planet in that case were doing, you know, to manipulate their audiences and, inf- and influence them because that's one of the reasons I think entertainment's important. It's it's the mass influencer of audiences and of people and and it both reflects I think and helps form political opinions as well. Now, the name of that episode was called Muse, and I was very interested, you know. I, 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 I know my definition, what I think Muse means. That's M-U-S-E, okay? And I thought I'd just look it up because it kind of fits in a bit to, the, to, to what I want to cover today. And my Funkin' Wagnalls has three definitions for the word. The first one I, I knew off the bat, you know, to consider thoughtfully or at length, to ponder, to meditate, okay? That you're musing, right? Um, Interesting, the second definition was a spirit or power regarded as inspiring artists and poets, etc. And the third muse was with a capital M. That was the one that was interesting. In Greek mythology, any of the nine goddesses who preside over the arts and the sciences. That's the one that I thought that... Uh, well, remember, you asked me about that on the phone yeah. the other day. That's that's what's the, muse? Yeah. And that's Isn't the that one you thought. For, yeah, yeah <laughs> I was surprised you, you knew that. Well, no, it's not a Greek god, um, actually. number of them. Uh, it's a number of them, not... I'm not even, I guess they're just called muses. I don't know if they're actually classified as gods or goddesses, I guess, yes. And, uh, but anyways, as I began to muse these definitions, I couldn't help but note the combination of arts and sciences, as if they belong together in that definition, not as two separate things apart from each other, you know, separate disciplines. So I wondered what the sciences would be in conjunction with the arts. Turns out, at least from my point of view, there's only one science in the bunch, purely science, although I think some of the others I would classify more as arts and humanities, although there is some science to some of them. I don't know. See if you agree. Um, now, these are the, um, the nine goddesses, okay, who presided over the arts and sciences. Their names and functions were, there was, and these were the muses, okay, Cleo, uh, the muse of history. Funny how you had to have sort of a god or goddess to almost every human endeavor at some time, eh? Ertupe, muse of lyric poetry. Thalia, of comedy and idyllic poetry. Melpomene, of tragedy. Terpixery, I think I'm pronouncing these right, of music and dancing. Erato, of erotic poetry. Calilope, of epic poetry. Urania of astronomy, and that's the only pure science I saw in there. Of course, people in ancient times were pretty obsessed with the skies. And then there was Palminia of singing and harmony. And I got those out of the Universal World Reference Encyclopedia, which went on to say that Apollo was the patron and the conductor of the muses. And it was interesting because in that episode of Voyager, the whole thing was, a, was about the patron and art influencing the patron. And, in, and I guess in that case, they convinced him not to go to war because he was also a, a big politician. So that was part of the whole tension in the show, you know. But interesting, uh, these muses, their worship was universally established, particularly in Greece, Thessaly, and Italy. No sacrifices were offered to them, but the poets invariably prefaced their compositions with a solemn invocation for the aid and inspiration of the muses. So they were considered the source of all inspiration for the arts, basically. Mm. And, uh, you know, I also thought, geez, there's got to be a good TV show, you know, featuring nine goddesses. You think somebody would have come up with that already? You could call it The Amusing Adventures of Desperate Virgins or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it's funny because something just clicked with me when you said... uh, in a Monty Python sketch, they talk about the Terpsichorean muse in the cheese shop sketch. And I'm going, ah, wow, now it clicks. There you go. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> and he's playing the, playing the 
bazooki right. or something in the background. You know, there actually was a, a recent series launch called Valentine, in which I think it was a goddess Aphrodite or somebody like that was that came to modern Earth to wreak havoc of love on unsuspecting couples, you know. And uh, the series canceled last I heard. And But I thought it held some promise, but again, that's part of what we're going to be talking about today, about how some shows show promise, they seem to be very good at the outset, some you don't think will ever make it, and they seem to make it, and uh, the whole industry is in an uproar. But uh, here's one show I gave two thumbs up to, even though, uh, Robert, you weren't on just right at that time, but uh, it was way back when they launched it. And I was never sure of this show's status as a surviving series, and the show I'm talking about is, of all things, Chuck. Mm-hmm. Okay, Chuck is sort of a, 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 an adventure comedy drama type of thing. I noticed Bill Harris had an interesting article about Chuck in the London Free Press on January 9th, and it's headed, Good Luck, Chuck. in in the entertainment section. And he writes, quote, It made sense that the subject of Chuck would come up at the Television Critics Association tour in Los Angeles last summer. What was unusual was that it was Glenn Gordon Caron, the executive producer of Medium, who was chatting about Chuck. Caron was complimentary when it came to the quality of Chuck, which kicked off its third season on January 10th on NBC and City here in Canada. But Caron cast a more critical eye when discussing why NBC had stayed so loyal to Chuck while Medium got bounced around the NBC schedule before ultimately moving to CBS and on CTV in Canada. Now, see, I've never, I, I haven't watched Medium, so I'm not aware of that history, but it's obviously this is an industry concern. Caron pointed out that TV networks make the mistake of thinking they're in the buzz business rather than in the broadcast business. We get sort of myopic, Caron said. We say, if we're not getting Twitters and we're not being effective. The truth is, people consume and experience shows in different ways. A great example being, and he's not casting aspirations, he says, but Chuck is a really, really good show that NBC has attempted to launch twice. The third time was the one that just occurred again a couple weeks ago. And only really been able to bring a certain locus of people to. Now, those people have created a tremendous amount of buzz about the show, but that hasn't translated into people actually watching the show. I don't know quite how to quantify buzz, but our show, clearly for NBC, didn't create as much a buzz as Chuck. However, we did attract more viewers, so it was their choice to make, end quote. And Bill responds that he goes, meow. <laughs> and he says, actually, we understand Caron's frustration. Certain people at NBC obviously think Chuck is worthwhile, and they hope that eventually it's going to catch on more widely. But Chuck wasn't renewed for a third season until after a Save Chuck campaign by fans. Does that sound familiar, Robert? Yeah, Star Trek. Yeah. As well as the emergence of a cost-cutting corporate partnership with a sandwich chain. I wasn't too clear what they meant by that. So he he concludes, Chuck fans shouldn't be concerned. The concern is that there aren't more of them. Because for Chuck's continued survival, the ratings don't even have to be good. They only have to be medium. (laughs) Get the joke? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) End quote. But uh, if you haven't seen Chuck, Chuck is basically a TV show about a computer nerd turned Bond, James Bond, that is, you know. It's pure fantasy all the way. It's silly, it's serious, and mostly it's just a fun ride. It mixes comedy with adventure and romance. Uh, But the context of Chuck is less my concern today than the method of delivery in in the broadcast medium. I've talked about Chuck before. I recommend it. You're going to hear a clip from it shortly. But i got to tell you, if you're one of those traditional TV viewers, and we're going to talk about why TV habits are changing so dramatically, this show made the cake for me when it started. I was, I, I was looking forward to the new season, but guess what City did? They aired four new episodes of Chuck in one week after it was absent for like 
the whole last half of the season, right? Don't they have a clue? Uh, and, you know, they put two on Sunday night between 9 and 11. Then the third on the very following Monday at 7 p.m. And the fourth on the Friday following at 9 or 10. I didn't get that quite right, but I caught it. I got all four, but four episodes in one week. Um, you know, how can a traditional TV viewer ever have a chance at following a show they like if that's what they're doing? Then they wonder why people stop watching shows. Because yeah. they can't find out where they are on the, on the dial. You know, m- my thing is, as with government, <laughs> I hate to say that, but viewers like stability and they like continuity. They'll accept changes at seasonal intervals, okay? And I, c- I consider a TV season, I don't care how they're trying to switch it and change it, the TV season is one thing and it's broken by another season called the summer. Then the rest of the time <laughs> is a TV season as far as broadcast is concerned. And... Um, but, you know, you, you have to have that, those changes. But once a program starts, any deviation from the scheduling path spells ratings doom, I think, uh, for the show. And a lot of viewing frustration for the commoners who still have television sets that work on either basic or cable TV. And I'm one of those people. And, and you, you saw the problem with just scheduling, what happened with uh, Conan O'Brien and Jay Leno now, eh? Like, oh, that's a disastrous <laughs> scheduling <laughs> error, you know? Let's put it that $33 that million. Way. So, um, but basically, if you haven't seen Chuck, I recommend it. It's a show that's a lot of fun. As I said when I covered it last time on the show, I said, this is a show that both I and my grandson can sit down and watch together and both enjoy. And, of course, he won't get all the higher-level thinking that's going on in the show, but the show permeates right, trickles right down, if you know what I mean. It's got all kinds of appeal to all sorts of people. And uh, so shortly you'll hear from there, but now on the other side of uh, the bumper we're going to, you'll be hearing a collage that Robert mentioned of television theme songs, and these will be all from British shows, right, Robert? British shows, yeah. And uh, I'll call that the TV British Invasion. I'm just wondering if you recognize any of them. Uh, Robert hasn't divulged which theme is which to me, and I know when I heard them, I recognized, I have to tell you, Robert, only maybe two, maybe three. Um, I'm not even sure about the third one. Yeah, I I was surprised, too. You didn't pick some shows that I thought you would pick. And I'll I'll make a comment on your selection later on, because there's nothing in there like, you know, the Beverly Hillbillies or something like that, you know, on on a British side. But first, if you haven't seen this week's episode of Chuck, put your hands over your ears because this next audio excerpt is from the current <laughs> episode out there. Uh-oh, Bronwyn's given funny faces in there. You're a fan, are you, Bronwyn? Yes, she is. Um, but, you know, even a light and entertaining show like Chuck has a message and a conflict beyond the secret agent one in this case, which, which is what I think is what good entertainment has in it. So here's a clip from uh, the, the Chuck that's actually being aired now. It, it's been aired on some stations and not others. So if you haven't seen it and you're planning to watch it, I don't think I'm giving anything away. And on the other side, we'll be looking at some British television as it's being seen through the eyes of Robert Vaughn after this. <laughs> How did you open this channel? Who is this? I'm the spy who killed Agent Shaw. This is not Devin Woodcomb. Yeah, well, you've been dealing with the wrong man. Devin was a decoy. I'm the one who put that bullet through Agent Shaw's chest last night. I'm the spy that you're looking for, and I am in charge of this mission now. I suppose congratulations are in order, Chuck. Devin's identity has been contained. I got lucky this time, Shaw. Yeah, and risk my family doing it. There's something you need to know about me, Shaw. There's nothing in my life that I care about more than my friends and my family. Of course, I don't expect you to understand that. Being the spy that you are, I'm sure that you don't care about anybody. Families and friends make us vulnerable. Make us unable to pull the trigger. And that puts everyone in even greater danger. Just ask your partner here. 
She'll tell you the same thing. Sometimes it helps to know that you've got something to lose. Welcome back to Just Right on CHRW Radio 94.9 FM. I'm Robert Vaughn, joined with Robert Metz. And if you want to call in and join the conversation, you can at 519-661-3600. So, Bob, how many did you get out of those uh, British theme songs? How many did you recognize? You know, Robert, at first I thought I was, I thought I was only going to get one, and then I realized I took a shot at the last one, too. I think I got four. Okay. What'd you get? Uh, Prisoner was number one. Correct. Number you are two, correct, sir. Number two, not a clue. Uh-huh. Number two, I'll tell you as we go. Number okay. two was the Sweeney. Don't even know that show. Right. Okay. Number three, not a clue. <laughs> number three was the Thunderbirds. Oh, I should have known that. Yeah, you should have. How come that didn't sound familiar to me? I don't know. Uh, number four was Space 1999. Right, or as they call it in Britain, Moonbase Alpha. Moonbase Alpha, okay. Mm-hmm. Is that what it's called there? Yeah. 
They don't call it Space 1999? No, that's the uh, American-Canadian uh, version. Good thing to call it in the year 2010. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, the fifth one had to be the Avengers, right? The new Avengers, actually, yeah. The new Avengers, mm-hmm. okay. But and the sixth reason. one, I wouldn't have known, but I'm only guessing because I know you. <laughs> Would that have been Doctor Who? That was, uh, the, that was Doctor Who, the newer okay. version. Yeah. I, I, I haven't seen any yet, believe it or not. Yeah, well done. But I noticed something about your compositions. Um, you know, it almost sounded like that whole composition could have been like one composition, the way you melded it together so nicely. It was instrumental all the way through, yep. and there was certain continuity in there. You didn't put any, um, you know, um, comedies or on the buses or that kind of thing in there. Yeah. Uh, why did you pick that for a reason? Just because you like it? or? Well, yeah, I thought they were all very catchy, yeah. all instrumental. Um, uh, they, they sort of get the blood boiling. They, they're very recognizable to anybody who's seen the shows. That's all. Okay. Cool. Well, yep. tell us about them, because I've uh, I know of um, the Prisoner, the Avengers. I'm not a regular watcher of any of them. Space 1999, I've seen. Yeah. And that's all I can comment on. So we'll see what. what well, actually, transpires. you know, I'm going to talk a, a bit, little bit about each of them uh, a little later on. But first, I want to actually talk about something that you were uh, sort of bouncing off what you were talking about at the beginning, because mm-hmm. you're a television watcher. To tell you the truth, Bob, I haven't watched television per se in quotes in years. Well, you know what I mean by TV. I don't sit there broadcast yeah. TV. I get my signals from broadcast TV. No, I'm not talking broadcast. I'm just um, talking television, whether it's Rogers, Satellite, uh, broadcast, whatever. Well, I, I get won- I get a lot of my signals from Rogers. That's all I can say. Right. I don't sit in front of the TV and watch shows. Yeah, I, but you're I haven't sort done of that a, in years. As you, as you alluded to, you're sort of a slave, as a lot of people are, to whenever they want to show it is when you've got to be there to capture it. What I do in my TV viewing, and I, I watch all the same shows you do or... Mm-hmm. Uh, Lot, lot that you don't like the Sweeney, <laughs> because uh, I have broadband uh, internet connection and I watch them off the internet. Right, uh, and mind you, I watch them on my television set, and I want to well, talk about th- that as that's well. That's what I'm doing. You know, yeah. we're both watching on the same device. By the way, I happen to know that because right. uh, I'm very glad you introduced me to that device, which we'll be talking about later. Yeah. I guess. The whole point, though, I think, is what I want to ma- mention just at the beginning here is that I can watch almost any television show that I want that ever aired any time I want, commercial free. Because most television stations, you know how they allow us, you know, they just basically feed us what they want, Mm -hmm. when they want, and we've got to be there to catch it, and we disrupt our days to go down. I used to do that all the time. I used to be a great fan of Star Trek. So whatever it was, 6 o'clock in the evening on whatever day it was on, the world had to stop so that I could watch my Star Trek. I think that kind of viewing is almost, I think there's still a market there for that type of viewer. I wouldn't say there's a one person that fits that type. We all maybe fit into certain categories from time to time. But I would say, uh, you know, when I find myself sitting in front of a TV when it is broadcast, I would say I'm viewing passively. I'm not, you know, actively engaged, you know. I, don't know. It's, also, it's, it's, I just seem less uh, yeah. paying attention. Whereas when I'm sitting down, commercial-free, actually put that show on, I'm paying a lot more attention. I get more out of it. I do. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. Actually, you know, you can watch a lot of television. Um, Which is terrible, because commercials pay for all of this stuff so that we can watch yeah, it. Yeah, that's know? true. And, and Am I feeling guilty? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> just that in the back of my mind. But as long as you can do it, you do it, I guess. But, um, you know, you can actually... Uh, the TV shows are actually, uh, or the television stations, rather, are making it so much easier for us to watch online as well. For example, I just the other night, just CBC, CTV, uh, NBC, they all allow 
people to go onto their websites and view their programs mm. right on their websites. Now, mind you, they won't let you copy them using, uh, for example, uh, there are certain applications you can attach to your browser. One that I use is called ant.com. So when it detects a streaming video, it, uh, a download button lights up and you can just click on it and it'll save it to your computer. But the television, the, at least the larger ones, won't allow you to do that. But they're they're starting. And they don't have. Do they have ads in their in the in the shows you download? Uh, some of them do, usually preceding the show that you want to watch. And of course, you're surrounded by ads on the screen. On the itself. screen, that seems yeah. to be the, the the future of where the ads are going to be. Mind you, you can uh, increase the size of the video to take up the full screen sure. where you don't see all that stuff. But um, you know, with file sharing, you remember Napster a few years ago and file sharing. Well, file sharing came along, and now you can download anything you want, whether it's a you know show, a movie, video, documentary, a book, magazines, record albums, or songs, even compilations of commercials, if you so desire, oh, yeah. which I've done. If it's digital, it's out there. You can get it, and that's what I do. And I would just like to talk about that little device you were alluding to so that you can watch all this stuff on your television set. and it's On a uh, traditional TV yes. as well as the new high-def TV. It has the really um, bland name of a media player yeah. uh, put out by Western Digital. I picked up mine at uh, Best Buy because I was tired of watching my shows on my... Well, mind you, I do have a pla uh, LCD large screen monitor for my computer. But no, I, like I just, I just have a regular TV, and I remember when you first told me about this, and you told me that you actually you didn't you couldn't find any advertising for it. You had to go out and look for yeah. it. You were actually searching for such a device to yeah. solve a problem you had. Yeah. And then, lo and behold, you found the thing, and you told me about it. And I went out and grabbed one right away, and it has uh, cleaned out two of my closets. I've just tossed every videotape I've got, everything's on... Uh, I watch things on flash drives now, believe it or right, not. Right, because before this device, you had to basically store everything on a, a DVD to bring it to your DVD player to watch on your television. Mm -hmm. Now, with all these terabyte drives that are out there, you, you record all your stuff on a terabyte drive, you hook the drive directly up, to the media player, then directly to the television, and now you can browse through your drive watching anything that you want. Yeah, basically the player is USB direct to TV. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I don't use a hard drive anymore because I, I, I have a lot of them, you know, so I mix my shows from the hard drive, put them on a flash stick, and it'll play from a flash stick, so you don't even need to have yeah. a, a second plug for the hard drive or anything around. Yeah, and with a 16-gig flash drive, you can have, you know... Oh, a week's worth of entertainment A week's worth of entertainment want. right on a little tiny flash right. stick in your And pocket. the whole thing runs on 12 volts. You can carry it in your pocket. It's the size of a small paperback. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of this information isn't necessarily new, except for that new device. But um, it's it's relatively new, and I can see it be in the future because the flash stick is becoming the medium of choice now. Yeah. And the, the new radios are putting in cars. You put your flash stick directly in, and I think the new TV generations are having them too. Right. So that's the way people are storing their signals now, and that presents some challenges for the industry. That's for sure. But that's a, that's right. As a matter of fact, the internet is going to change television. In five years' time, television is not going to look the way it looks today. I think television and the internet are going to blend in such a way that uh, you wouldn't probably even call it television mm -hmm. anymore. I don't know. But the world is your oyster out there when you have broadband internet connection. And uh, if you want to keep up with the popular shows or even go back and watch some shows from the 70s or 80s like I do just for nostalgic reasons. Or, or I watch a lot of Japanese television as well because some of that is really comical <laughs> and really clever too. I don't know if anybody out there is familiar with, for example, Claymore 
or Death Note on Japanese television, uh, some anime stuff, which is just mm. really top-notch entertainment. But you can do it because of the Internet. And when we come back after the break, I'm going to be talking about uh, comparing British TV with American TV, comedy, drama, science fiction. So uh, let's just take a break. Now, back in the moment. now, first, before we go, what is this this next break coming up? Are we at the bottom of the hour? My goodness, we are already. We are, yeah. um, I noticed it's Doctor Who. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. during the break, you're going to hear a little clip from Doctor Who. Now, Doctor Who ran for 26 years Yikes. before a 16-year hiatus, and then they brought it back in 2005, really revamped it, made it look uh, a lot more modern. Well, I've and, had some uh, friends tell me it's pretty good. It is pretty good. It's lacking, it though, and I'll talk about that. Yeah. It is lacking. And then after the month, after the Doctor Who, we're going to hear a little bit of a more, more traditional British TV, the way people think about it, and that's Monty Python. Okay. I'm the doctor, by the way. What's your name? Rose. Nice to meet you, Rose. Run for your life. He's gonna follow us. The assembled hordes of Genghis Khan couldn't get through that door, and believe me, they've tried. Are you alien? Yes. You could come with me. Is it always this dangerous? Yeah. Right then, Rose Tyler, you tell me, where do you want to go? Backwards or forwards in time? It's your choice. What's it going to be? Forwards. How far? 100 years. Step outside those doors. It's the 22nd century. You're kidding. That's a bit boring, though. Do you want to go further? Fine by me. Ten thousand years in the future. Step outside. It's the year 12,005. The New Roman Empire. You think you're so impressive? I am so impressive. You wish. Right then. You ask for it. I know exactly where to go. Where are we? What's out there? Spend all your time thinking about dying. Like you're gonna get killed by eggs or beef or global warming or asteroids. But you never take time to imagine the impossible. That maybe you survive. This is the year 5.5 slash apple slash 26, five billion years in your future. And this is the day. Hold on. The sun expands. Welcome to the end of the world.
please? Certainly, sir. Have you been here before? No, I haven't. This is my first time. I see. Well, do you want to have just one argument, or were you thinking of taking a course? Well, what does it cost? Well, it's one pound for a five-minute argument, but only eight pounds for a course of ten. Well, I think it would be best if I perhaps started off with just the one, and then see how it goes. Fine. Well, I'll see who's free at the moment. Uh, Mr. DeBakey's free, but he's a little bit conciliatory. Ah, yes. Try Mr. Barnard, room 12. Thank you. What do you want? Well, I was told outside that... Don't give me that, you snotty-faced heap of parrot droppings. What? Shut your festering gob, your tit. Your type really makes me puke, you vacuous, coffee-nosed, malodorous pervert. Look, I came here for an argument. I'm not going to just... Oh, oh, I'm sorry, but this is abuse. Oh, I see. Well, that explains... Ah, yes. You want room 12A just along the corridor. Oh, thank you very much. Sorry. Not at all. Thank you. Stupid git. Uh, is this the right room for an argument? I've told you once. No, you haven't. Yes, I have. When? Just now. No, you didn't. I did. Didn't. I did. Didn't. Did. You did not. Well, I'm sorry, just one moment. Um, is this a five-minute argument or the full half hour? Oh, just the uh, five minutes. Ah, thank you. Anyway, I did. You most certainly did not. Well, let's get this thing clear. I quite definitely told you. No, you did not. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. You didn't. Yes, I did. Well, look, this isn't an argument. No, it isn't. It's just contradiction. No, it isn't. It is. It is not. Look, you just contradicted me. No, I did not. Oh, you did. No, no, no. You did just then. Nonsense. Oh, look, this is futile. No, it isn't. I came here for a good argument. No, you didn't. No, you came here for an argument. Well, an argument isn't just contradiction. Can be. No, it can't. An argument is a connected series of statements intended to establish a proposition. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. It's not just contradiction. Look, if I argue with you, I must take up a contrary position. Yes, but that's not just saying, no, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Argument is an intellectual process. Contradiction is just the automatic gainsaying of any statement the other person makes. That isn't yes, it is. Not at all. Now look. Good morning. What? That's it. Good morning. I was just getting interested. Sorry, five minutes is up. That was never five minutes. I'm afraid it was. It wasn't. I'm sorry, but I'm not allowed to argue anymore. What? If you want me to go on arguing, you'll have to pay for another five minutes. Yes, but that was never five minutes just now. Oh, come on. Look, this is ridiculous. I'm sorry, but I'm not allowed to argue unless you've paid. Oh, all right. Thank you. Well? Well, what? That wasn't really five minutes just now. I told you, I'm not allowed to argue unless you've paid. I just paid. No, you didn't. I did. No, you didn't. Uh, look, I don't want to argue about that. You didn't pay. Aha! Uh -huh. If I didn't pay, why are you arguing? I've got you. No, you haven't. Yes, I have. If you're arguing, I must have paid. Not necessarily. I could be arguing in my spare time. Oh, I've had enough of this. No, you haven't. Oh, shut up. Welcome back to Just Right on CHRW Radio 94.9. Sounds like a debate between the left and right, doesn't it? City Hall on a typical day. No, it doesn't. <laughs> you can call us at 519-661-3600 if you want to join in the conversation. And I just love That's Monty a classic. Yeah, That's a classic. That As a matter of fact, I don't know if anybody has seen House, but um, Hugh Laurie from House is... Uh, uh, was a comedian and still is, I guess, uh, from the old uh, Fry and Laurie uh, sketch comedy show uh, back in the uh, 80s with uh, with Stephen Fry and on one of his uh, one of the episodes of House he actually makes reference to this very sketch when uh, somebody talks to him about arguing and he goes oh, no that's room 12A <laughs> <laughs> now if you didn't know Monty Python you wouldn't have got that reference so hey anyway. just before I carry on mm -hmm. I was listening to the Doctor Who clip before the on the other side of the you know before we broke and uh, I, I really am 
don't know what Doctor Who is about. I got the impression from that clip, are they time travelers? Is that what it is? Or yeah, is, Doctor, what, Who what do is, they do? Uh, Doctor Who is the last of his race of time lords, and he's uh, been exiled from his planet, basically, and uh, after a great war, and he makes it to Earth, falls in love with Earth and their population. Actually, he sort of falls in love with England, really. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not so much Earth, but England. And um, usually has a female companion with him, and then they go tra- traipsing around the universe, uh, in through time of, uh, and space, kind yeah, of through thing. time and Basically space. Basically, anything's possible. Right? And actually, a police call box of all the uh, things. Actually, the police call box is his space and time ship, and uh, well, yeah, you know, they meet just all kinds of strange monsters. Oh, I, I thought his videos. comment about people always worrying about dying from eggs, beef, and global warming <laughs> was kind of funny. <laughs> You'd think we'd get away from global warming, but not even <laughs> at a comic show like this. Yeah, not even know. at the end of the world. That's when you're really getting global warming. You yeah. know, it's funny you're talking about not worrying about global warming, and yet. The sun was expanding, and it was the end of the world. <laughs> Mind you, it's five billion years yeah. slash apple slash 26, whatever, later on. But I don't think we caused the expansion no. of the sun. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You don't, uh, you don't know about Doctor Who, and a lot of us yeah. out there know some British television, like, uh, for, for example, about BBC Canada shows some shows, mostly reality shows, though. It's not very good. And, of course, the CBC used to broadcast things like Coronation Street, uh, which uh, my mother certainly uh, watched every single day. Mm-hmm. My sister-in-law watches it every day religiously and I certainly know about it. Um, but what about all the great British shows that aren't on broadcast, that mm-hmm. you don't even see here? You know, some of you, you may remember Doctor Who, some of you, you don't, but... Uh, well, I know of it. Yeah. You know. Or shows like Minder, uh, The Sweeney, I mentioned before, The Tomorrow People, a kid's show, The Goonies, Red Dwarf, Black Adder. Now, Red Dwarf, mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of. That oh, one yeah. I've seen a lot of. Yeah, Do Not Adjust Your Set, Spitting Image was shown over here. That was a great show. Uh, I've watched a lot of British TV over the years, and I can't help but compare it to what we get here. And uh, I've come to some conclusions, Bob. What's that? Well, first of all, let's take comedy. Regarding okay. comedy, British comedy, in my opinion, is the pinnacle of humor. It doesn't get much better than the argument sketch. It's come down to a fine art, whereas U.S. comedy, or at least until recently, with shows like Penn & Teller's uh, BS, not allowed yeah. to say the real name here on the air, but Penn & Teller and perhaps even The Daily Show and The Colbert Report, um, they, they're really good comedy. But previous to this uh, recent influx of new comedy, because of satellite and cable and all that, uh, the U.S. shows were constrained by the prudish sensitivities of the American uh, market and wasn't very good. But Monty Python... Well, so that's an interesting statement because I found that just because there are restraints on a network doesn't necessarily translate into bad programming. Sometimes Not better. Not necessarily. But as a matter of fact, you're right. For example, the, uh, the two Ronnies in Britain, they were constrained as well, but they came up with some very clever devices, uh, ways of, of swearing on, on television. And that and makes like it that. funnier. It makes it funnier <laughs> than the swearing. But I found you know? that the Brits can do it better than the Americans, I found. I don't know. Okay. Monty Python can make me, you know, my sides split like, like, with Like laughter. just even the way that um, in that Monty Python skit, you'd almost swear that he was swearing. <laughs> and yet he wasn't using any swear words. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, but you know, you could split your sides laughing at that stuff. Well, you know, like Jay Leno, on the other hand, you might get a good chuckle out of it on one of his good nights. But that's about it. You know, I'm not going to split my sides over Jay Leno. Uh, Mitchell and Webb, they're clever. They're witty, they're creative, and they're not afraid to make fun of whatever might offend us. While, you know, Saturday Night Live, you know, supposedly the pinnacle of American humor, that has become a dull, formulaic, and constrained by their own network and their own their self-censorship. They're still on the air? They're still on the air, <laughs> and they shouldn't be. They should be taken off. I saw recently one a couple of weeks ago, and it was just, oh, it was just desperate. I couldn't watch it all. Um, Stephen Fry. 
a lot of people don't know him. Stephen Fry's become, uh, you know, he, he's some really intelligent man. A lot of wit comes out of him. Uh, the closest we may get to him here is perhaps a Rick Mercer. Now, Rick Mercer is not too bad, but there's no Stephen Fry. So British comedy can be extremely uninhibited sexually and religiously, as anybody knows if they've seen episodes of, for example, Two Pints of Lager and a Packet of Crisps, which I know they play here in Canada, or Beautiful People, or Shameless. And if these titles aren't familiar with it, go online and get them. They push the level of common decency out the window. My favorite. <laughs> is, that, British... is, that what, is, that what, is that your thing? <laughs> oh, yes. I love pushing that sense of common okay. decency out the window onto the street and so we can get run over by a lorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite British comedy today is QI. It's a quiz show hosted by Stephen Fry. Now it's in its seventh season, or series as they call them over there. That's a quiz show. It's a quiz show, yeah. I don't but even know if I'd classify a quiz show. Oh, it's a... total comedy because all of his co- contestants, if you will, or panelists, are comedians. Uh, uh, that's why it's that's comedy. Uh, Fry is a national British treasure and fantastic. And everything he's done since he teamed up with Hugh Laurie in Cambridge, the Cambridge Footlights, um, to his movies, documentaries, and TV shows like Absolute Power, and now QI. Fantastic British comedy. Uh, but now, let's go on to drama. Drama, British dramas, are about on par, in my opinion, with American drama. You have cop shows like Spooks, um, here in Canada, in the U.S., they call it MI5, um, PBS. It's as good as any U.S. cop slash spy show out there. Remember Danger Man? Now, you are familiar with that show. Oh, no, there's one, I, thanks to you, and uh, I find them absolutely engrossing. Danger brilliantly, Man. Brilliantly written. Yeah. And didn't you tell me that Patrick McGugan, who starred in that, or maybe I didn't hear it from you, but wasn't he the, the highest paid actor on television yes. in yes. the world yes. at the time that that was being yeah. made? Patrick McGugan, as he was yeah. the star of Danger Man, was the highest paid television actor in the world at that time uh, for that show. And it was well-deserved. That was an excellent show. It's a little old, but classic show, enjoyable even today. Personally, I like it better than The Prisoner, which he seems to be better oh, yes. known for. Oh, although yeah. The Prisoner was... Prisoner was stylish, fun, but philosophically it was a mess. (laughs) (laughs) Now, The Sweeney, you didn't hear about that. Well, The Sweeney actually aired in the late 70s. It was a great gritty cop show, and it's still alive online. It starred Dennis Waterman, uh, who went on to do Minder, a more lighthearted drama about a con man and his bodyguard. He was the bodyguard. Uh, More recently, we have the likes of uh, Shakespearean actor Kenneth Branagh, starring in Wallander, a crime thriller with top-notch acting and writing. It's just a great show. Um, and for mystery, the Brits excelled at Sherlock Holmes with Jeremy Brett, or Agatha Christie's Poirot with David Suchet, or Cadfile with Derek Jacobi. Masterful performances, top-notch productions, excellent period recreations, which I love. Thoroughly enjoyable. There's really only one American mystery worth mentioning out there, and I think you know which one it is. American mystery. American mystery. On British TV, you mean? No, no, on, on, on Canadian, Brit, American TV. It's a mystery, murder mystery type of thing. And Columbo. Well, I can think of a few, but I know what you mean by Columbo. <laughs> oh, there's Columbo's a few, but a great I'm, classic. A few, but um, like, yeah, what you got? Murder, she wrote. Nah, sorry, too formulaic. You can guess who the murderer is right off the Very bat. Very popular, though. Quite popular, yeah. yeah. But uh, popular is not always good. And this is about my opinion. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And when we come back from a short break, we're going to be talking about my opinion on British science fiction. Okay. (laughs) William, have you been sleeping with Alice again? Have you been sleeping with Alice again? Uh, Yes, I think so. So. (laughs) How many times do I have to tell you I don't like it when you sleep with other women? 
Oh, well, I'm sorry. I, we were at a conference. Uh, I wanted to have some sex. You went around. Yes, well, you've always got a good excuse, but still. Still what? She, she's very pretty, and I never thought you'd find out. I don't care. I don't like it. Oh, come on, be reasonable, darling. You, you've met Alice. She, she's taller than you. She's got bigger breasts. I, I was hardly going to turn down the chance to sleep with her. It's not as if you're losing out on anything. I'm going to carry on sleeping with you, too. Yes, OK, fine. Good. Oh, I meant to ask you the other day, can we start a family? Uh, no, better not. Why not? Well, I, I don't like children. I never want to have any, and if I did, it wouldn't be with you. Well, I want to have a baby. Well, you know, sorry. Oh, did I tell you that I have a secret gambling problem? Oh, for heaven's sake, Rachel, what's the matter with you? Are you trying to pick a fight with me or something? No. Yes, you are. You've been niggling away at me ever since you came in. Did you sleep with Alice? Can we have a baby? I'm a secret gambler, blah, blah, blah. I'm just talking. I know what this is really about. It's not about anything. This is still about the fridge door, isn't it? It's got nothing to do with the fridge door. Good, because we have to move on. Still your whole quiche I had to throw away, you bastard! <laughs> so, it, it is about the fridge door. And milk! So much milk! I, look, I've, I've said I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm so sorry. I think I care if you're sorry. I'll never see that quiche again. Look, it's, it's just like, I know... I know I had a moment of madness. I, I left the fridge open. I, I, I know you can never forget, but... Try to forgive. Well, I'm, I'm sorry I had these outbursts, but I, I am trying. I understand. Give me a kiss. All better? All better, yes. Oh, and about Alice, you did use a condom, didn't you? Oh! <laughs> Silly boy! That was an excerpt from the controversial and some would say scurrilous new British picture, The General Synod's Life of Christ. <laughs> the film deals with the rise to fame and greatness of a humble carpenter's son named Jesus Christ. But many people have seen in the film a thinly disguised and blasphemous attack on the life of Monty Python. <laughs> worshippers claim the film sets out to ridicule by parody the actual members of Monty Python. <laughs> Men who even today are worshipped and revered throughout the Western world. Now, Alexander Walker, what did you think of the picture? <clears throat> well, I was, I was appalled. I mean, I actually find it deeply offensive that in a country that is still ostensibly a Python-worshipping country, <laughs> that a 14-year-old child can actually get in to see this film. I mean, there is, there is little enough proper Python around these days without parading this distorted garbage about. Bishop, you directed the film. Uh, did you expect this kind of reaction? Well, well, I certainly didn't expect the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, I did. And yes. welcome back to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. You can call 519-661-3600 to join us. What did you think of that one, Bob? Uh, I see what you mean by, by the pushing the envelope on the humor on sex and even on religion. You know, one thing I find a little bit common about British humor is that a lot of it's based on reversing how would I put it? Priorities, making unimportant things important and not very important. The total juxtaposition, making a non-essential the most important thing and making the most important thing an irrelevancy on the side. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just funny to see it because uh, that type of humor exposes our thinking on on the other side of the issue often without our realizing it. Yeah, it really makes us think yeah. about why we think something is important mm-hmm. to something else. Yeah, yeah, very funny stuff. By the way, uh, that first one about uh, the fridge door being ajar, that was uh, Mitchell and Webb. Mitchell and those Webb. Who haven't, I never even heard of Mitchell and Webb until a few weeks ago, and now I've seen about a season and a half's worth Perhaps already. Perhaps the new Monty Python, I don't know. Um, yeah, and the uh, the last clip you just heard was from Not the Nine O'Clock News. Right, now that was in the 80s. Yes. Yeah, 1980s. Uh. So just, uh, just to clue up the hour here. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk a little bit about science fiction, and uh, my opinion is that science fiction, while they, the Brits may have had it on comedy, you know, or, or on par with drama, they really haven't got the science fiction down yet, even with Doctor Who. They just they just don't get it. Well, what's the problem as far as you well, see? Well, science fiction gives a writer an opportunity to examine the human equation or philosophy, morality, ethics, even epistemology and metaphysics in ways no other genre can. The Americans discovered this and we're left with masterpieces like Star Trek, Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, or more recently, like shows like Firefly with Nathan Fillion, your fan, you're a fan mm-hmm. of him, or Dollhouse, another exceptional production by Josh Whedon, certainly a science fiction, where we, you know we we talk about things like what does it mean to be conscious, what does it mean to actually, uh, what is the sense of self? That's right. You know, how do we know what we know? That's epistemology. These are all tackled on in American science fiction. What have the Brits given us? Moonbase Alpha. Well, you know, I might even say in terms of the comedy, you said um, British comedy is a little more cerebral, and it might be. It might be funnier in that sense, but I find American comedy is a little more moralistic. Um, yeah. Maybe I'm not yeah. saying that quite right, but, you know, a lot of comedy on the American scene has a little moral in it somewhere, you know. That, a little. Um, I'm not saying it doesn't. As a matter of fact, when, when I say that British comedy, in my estimation, is better than American, it's not that American comedy is necessarily bad. No, no, I know what you mean. just that British is better. <laughs> it's your preference. Um, I was very surprised at the shows you didn't mention, Robert, because uh, you didn't even mention Yes Minister. I was amazed at that. Oh, there's tons of shows and, out there, um, Bob, I haven't mentioned. Because, sure, you know, I, I do watch British stuff, but nothing that you mentioned. <laughs> and Yes Minister's one of them, Sherlock Holmes with Jeremy Brett. Have you seen those? You know those. Oh, I mentioned those earlier on. Oh, I have did. them all. Sorry, I've watched the albums several times. They're absolutely and, and amazing. And, of course, Danger Man that I'm watching right now, which I think is great. Yeah. But anyway, what did they give us? Moonbase Alpha, right? Oh, oh, what a complete waste of time for actors such as Barbara, Brain, Barbara Bean and Martin Landau. Yeah. Oh, and Doctor Who. And yet it was rather artistic. I've, you know, if you looked at it, the Stylish. The That's all I got. Stylish, maybe. Stylish. Like The Prisoner, stylish, but lacked a lot. It lacked, it lacked something. Very two-dimensional. Yeah, very two-dimensional. Uh, Doctor Who is a British icon on television for now about 31 years, but all it can do is give us uh, uh, romping around space and time, chasing comically designed monsters and aliens. You know, it's, it's all about a story of, uh, you know, action-adventure, no real depth, no morality play, just camp and hijinks in space. So as far as science fiction goes, the Americans have it down pat, whereas the Brits have the comedy down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that balances out, maybe. 
That's interesting because um, I've got a, I got a clipping here. We've got about two minutes left. I think I can get this in. Um, this is out of the London Free Press, January 15. And you know that uh, one British science fiction hero in America is going to be knighted. And yes. that is Patrick Stewart of Star Trek Next Generation fame. And he made a fascinating comment. And this was covered by Bill Harris in the Free Press on the 15th. And uh, this is the excerpt I'll pick, and this is Harris writing, quote, Speaking of England, <laughs> Stewart also had a fascinating observation about the different snobbery levels in the reactions of British fans and North, and North American fans to different forms of entertainment. And it isn't what you think it might be. And now he's quoting Patrick Stewart, and this is him quoting Patrick Stewart, quote, One of the things that took me by surprise when I came to live and work in Hollywood was the rebuttal of what I'd always believed was a completely democratic society, which did not have a hierarchy, said Stewart, who played Captain Picard on Star Trek The Next Generation from 1987 to 1994. What I found when I arrived in Hollywood was that it had a more carefully and elaborately structured hierarchy than I had ever known in my life. And shooting a syndicated science fiction drama series put me way down the rung of the ladder. In England, we just work. And there's no taste distinction whether you're doing a radio play or a television series or working for the Royal Shakespeare Company or the National Theatre. You're working, and there are no pejorative aspects of any of that work, said Stewart. Hmm. What do you think? Does that, does that ring with you? It's odd because when he got the job as um, Captain Picard, they congratulated him and says, how does it feel to be an American icon? Yes. Well, <laughs> it's not just work anymore to him. Now he's a, an American icon. Well, yes, but he was an icon in science fiction. And, you know, science yeah. fiction has always been treated a little bit differently in America, maybe in every country to some degree. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see the history of that genre. Well, I remember, because I love science fiction ever since I can remember, but um, I remembered it was also frowned upon. It was thought of as always childish, never given the, uh, the credit it was due. Um, so... I think we've changed. And that's where a lot of the creative minds went. That's why, for example, Rod Serling ended up doing The Twilight Zone to yeah. escape the, 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 the sheer uh, you know, boredom of what they were forcing on him in the, in, in the regular. Right. You, you couldn't comment on, on current events through normal channels, so you had to do it through science fiction, right? through an allegory. And, of course, that's what entertainment's about. But I guess that's it for our allegories today, Robert. Yep. I had fun. It was very interesting. I'll check some of those shows out. A little different than talking about global warming and the well, environment and politics all the time. Yeah, well, I think <laughs> even in these shows, you can't get away from those things. No. So I hope you enjoyed today's show, folks, because uh, that's it for today. We'll leave you for this week, and we hope you'll enjoy join us again next week as we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, do right, act right, be right, stay right, and be right here. Fade into color, color into black and white, under the bedclothes. I did direct the film, and I feel as though I must emphasize at this stage that it is not about Pythonist. Oh, come on. I'm not a Pythonist. <laughs> I'm not a Pythonist myself, but obviously I have a tremendous amount of respect for people like Alexander, who are... Oh, come now. I, now, come now, Bishop. I mean, the leading figure in this film, what is it? Uh, uh, Je Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. I mean, he's quite clearly, quite clearly a lampoon of the comic messiah himself, <laughs> our Lord John Cleese. <laughs> Even the initials, no, J.C., no, no, are exactly I, the same. No, no, I, think, no, no, I, think I must explain.